Praise the Lord. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Let's all stand. I'm feeling better, but there are still those that aren't feeling better yet. So we will continue to pray for them. Amen. Uh, Sister Barb, Sister Bell, Brother and Sister Rapage, Brother and Sister McGinnis are all under the weather yet. Various stages of recovery, but uh, we would like to see full and complete recovery. Amen. So we'll pray for that. God has a purpose for this service. He has a purpose for us being here today. Amen. We, we have always got to realize that, that nothing happens in the kingdom by accident. There is always a reason for everything that takes place. Uh, there is a reason for everything that you go through. There is a reason for us being here today. Amen. Our responsibility then is to discover what that is and pursue after it. Praise God. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. I am so thankful for your so great faithfulness to us, your long-suffering patience to usward. Hallelujah, Jesus. We are thankful this morning for the covenant promises you've given us concerning healing, upon which we stand today. Hallelujah, Jesus. We take authority over sickness and disease and infirmity right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We rebuke these illnesses, these infirmities now in Jesus' name. We claim healing for our brothers and sisters right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. And for our service this morning that you administer here wondrously, gloriously, according to our desperate need and according to your perfect will, let your name be glorified in our midst here today. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I do want to thank uh, Brother Parker and Brother DeMuth for preaching while I was away on vacation. (laughs) Thank you so very much. Uh, Those messages were spot on. I appreciate those. Thank you. Except Brother Parker almost ruined my second message. I would have been upset about that. But uh, no, I wouldn't have. (laughs) But he didn't, so we're good to go. More on that uh, second service. Amen. Judges chapter 2. We'll read verses 6 through 12. Judges chapter 2. Verses 6 through 12. And the Bible says this. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Heres in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also, on, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Baalim. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers." which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods. 
of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. Amen. We'll be speaking this morning on this topic, the heavy responsibility of the teacher. The heavy responsibility of the teacher. Now, in our culture, uh, certainly in the, uh, at least this is what I've found to be true, and the United Pentecostal Church International, the celebrities tend to be those that can preach well. And I have nothing against good preaching. In fact, quite the opposite. I very much enjoy good preaching. However, that is not the be-all and end-all of the spiritual offices that God gave the church. We need more than good preaching. Although good preaching is ne- it's a necessity. We absolutely need good preaching. Please don't misunderstand me. But we can't live on preaching alone. We need other offices to be fulfilled as well. One of those, what we'll be talking about today, is the role of the teacher. Now, in our society, in the Western culture, the role of the teacher is largely denigrated. It is largely uh, set aside for those who have failed at other things. Uh, as the saying goes, those who do, those who can do, those who can't teach. I very much disagree with that statement. In other cultures, in other time periods, the role of the teacher was very much exalted and, and highly uh revered the role of the teacher the role of the guru the role of the rabbi was a position to be attained unto and once attained to people would respect that and revere the rabbi for his wisdom and for his knowledge in times of the roman republic the teacher was given the title literatus or learned it was a title of great respect Teachers in ancient Greek society were extremely venerated. Names like Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates are still known today. In ancient India, the guru, or teacher, was a highly respected and revered title. In China, teachers have always been held in high regard. Even today, they are viewed on the same level as doctors. By contrast, in the U.S. and other European countries, the consensus is Teachers are generally not trusted to give a quality education and are paid way too much for what they do. As denigrated and as disrespected as the office of the teacher is in our society, we still desperately need them. We need someone who is authorized. We need someone who is commissioned to go out and teach, specifically the Word of God. And if we're not careful, this negative attitude can, and in some cases has, fled into the church. I think of one personal example. The very first time I started feeling a nudge toward the ministry, I talked to my pastor, and uh, he asked me this question, and it always stuck with me. Are you called to preach? Because if you're just called to teach... You don't need a license for that. And not knowing any better, I wasn't really sure at the time. So I said, well, let me hold off on that. But the more I think about that, the more 
more wrong that seems to me. The teacher is one of the fivefold ministry. Now, the teacher is never going to be invited to general conference to preach the, the evening service. They're never going to be invited to teach or preach because of the times. I understand that. And I'm okay with that. But teaching is so very important. It's so absolutely vital. In some churches I've been to, uh, Sunday school teachers, in a very important ministry. I don't know how you feel about it personally, but that's the next generation. It is so important that we reach that next generation. We'll be talking about the scripture text in just a little bit. If we don't reach the next generation, we're lost. There is no more church. It's going to die out with us. Think about that for a moment. We are always one generation away from extinction. In some churches that I have attended, their method of selecting a Sunday school teacher seemed to be, can you fog a mirror? And if you can fog a mirror, go down and teach. We need a body down there. May I say that that will not be the policy of this church. Our Sunday school teachers are going to be qualified or we won't have them at all. I would rather have no teachers at all than have unqualified teachers teaching God knows what, exampling Lord knows what to our students. In churches I've been to, the Sunday school teachers, they'd be in church on Sunday, teaching Sunday school, worshiping the Lord in the pew, and Monday night, they'd be in the bar, sleeping around. All week long, they'd be doing that. And then they'd come back to church on Sunday. And what are they teaching our students? Mm-mm. No, sir, no, ma'am. That's not going to happen. Our, our students are going to get qualified teachers. Our students deserve the very best. You deserve the very best. You most certainly do. Teachers need to be qualified. In Israel, the position of the teacher or rabbi has always been respected. In some instances, the Old Testament... The terms of teacher and father seem to be used interchangeably, as it was primarily the responsibility of the father to teach the children. In the New Testament, Jesus is depicted as rabbi or teacher, master, etc. Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12 says this, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works, 
but all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself, he that humbleth himself shall, shall be exalted. Okay, please understand this is an argument. It is not an argument against the existence of teachers, but rather a warning against coveting the titles associated with being a teacher, the accompanying claims to power and honor. That is not what we're seeking. Uh, when someone is, is seeking to get licensed or uh, uh, an official ministry in the UPCI, there are those, unfortunately, that seek those for the wrong reason. They see the guy up here. Everybody's watching him. Everybody's listening to him. Everybody celebrates his birthday. That's a pretty cool place to be. For a long time, that's all I saw. But I was fine with it. I was very, very happy for my pastor to get all of that. I really was. Uh... I love that man. <laughs> but that's all people see sometimes. They don't understand what happens the other 95% of the time. This is, this is a very small part of this ministry. Very small part. <sighs> it's an important part, but time-wise, it's just it's not that big a deal. There's a whole lot of time in prayer, fasting, a whole lot of time ministering to people, counseling people, getting woke up with phone calls, all of that. That's what people don't see. And no one's going to get up here and talk for an hour about how, how tough I have it. <laughs> it's just not going to do that. <clears throat> but people seek these sometimes for the wrong reason. And the Lord is exhorting us and is telling us, Yes, seek the office, but seek it for the right reasons. Seek it for the right reasons. And I promise you, you know, in times past, there were a lot of benefits associated with being a minister. Certainly, 50, 100 years ago, it was a big deal. Parents were pretty happy to, to hear that you were going into the ministry. 200, 300 years ago, if you were going into the priesthood, that was a meal ticket right there. That was, that was a gravy train. That was a good thing. More and more, it's not going to be a good thing to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. More and more, it's going to be, uh, I'm very happy to just be right over here. I'll let him take the heat. I'll let him take the blows. 
more and more, there is going to be less and less good things associated with these offices. And so, again, maybe that's a good thing. Christianity in general has had a lot of good things associated with it. Not necessarily scriptural. It's been socially uh, promoting to be a Christian. It's been good for business to be a Christian. But not so much anymore. And because of that, because the, if I can say it this way, the price of entrance is a little bit higher now than it used to be. And it's going to continue to get higher. That's going to weed out the ne'er-do-wells. That's going to weed out the lukewarm and those who are in it for something other than Jesus Christ. <coughs> there are all kinds of spectrums in the church today. As persecution increases, as those benefits become farther removed, it is going to be more the line will be more starkly drawn between Christian and non-Christian. And I think that's a good thing. The relationship Jesus had with his students was not one of uh, necessarily lecture. He did lecture to the, the crowds, the multitudes. But his preferred method of teaching was discipleship. In fact, that was the preferred method in that culture, period. There was a time and a place for teaching the multitudes, but the real teaching was done behind the scenes. The real teaching was done around the fire. The real teaching was done around the, the supper table. This is the way all the fathers in Israel taught their children. It's the way Elijah taught his protege, Elisha. This is how Moses taught Joshua. Jesus' preferred method is much more time-intensive than a one-hour lecture every week. It's much more difficult. It takes a much, more, a much greater commitment of time and energy. But it's a much more effective way of teaching. Discipleship. Discipleship. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 says this. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Okay, here Jesus is finalizing his teaching method and telling us what we need to do is to do what he did. His entire ministry was laid out for us as an example of how we were to engage ourselves in ministry. The things that Jesus did, we ought to be doing. If we are to carry on his teaching ministry by making disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to live like Jesus wants them to live. That's what we are to do, is to carry on that ministry. This is a bit different than a classroom setting. Now again... Jesus used that setting. We will use that setting. But the much more effective method 
for discipling someone, for training someone, is one-on-one. A few people on one. This means spending time with your disciple outside of church. Getting together for lunch. Having him over for supper. Spending time with them. This means getting phone calls late at night, early in the morning, at times that are just not convenient. This means walking through some of their hell with them. We're not passive observers watching them from the outside. We're going to go through it a little bit with them. And when we're going through it, we're going to allow them in to see how to respond to those situations. That's right. They are going to observe us in our best times and in our worst times. And they are going to learn from us. This is the difference between the Pharisee and the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan was willing to do whatever it took, to spend whatever was necessary, to go out of his way to minister. Back to our scripture text. Somehow, the generation that knew and had seen what God had done, who were convinced of everything that God had said and did, utterly failed to convey that knowledge to their children. I don't know how that happened. God was very present in that generation. Very present. He spoke with them. He acted on their behalf. He granted them victory. And when they disobeyed, he took his hand off of them. There was a very distinct, direct cause and effect. Anybody that could see the situation knew this was God. Israel had no strength against these people. They had no strength against the walls of Jericho. None at all, except God fought for them. It was very apparent that God was fighting for them, that he, just, he wasn't just real, but he had a covenant relationship with them. In one generation, they went from a people who were very zealous for their God to a people who were very comfortable forsaking that God and going and serving other gods. One generation. That's all it took. Now, I don't know if they just took it for granted that their, their children were going to pick this up. I don't know the situation. The Bible is silent on that. We can speculate, but that's all it would be. Somehow, though, that information failed to be conveyed. That discipleship never took place. That training never happened. And so in one generation... When all of that previous generation had died, the, the generation that arose knew not God, did not follow after His ways. They followed other gods, strange gods. Today in America, we're just about there. Here's some a relatively recent survey results. 
Today, 89% of evangelical Christians will leave church when they leave for college. Of those who no longer believe all the accounts in the Bible are true, 39.8% first had doubts in middle school. Another 43.7% first had their doubts in high school. Only 10.6% of respondents said that they had their first doubts in college. Now, when I first got the results of these, I was dumbfounded. I had just assumed that it was college. It's not college. They're getting it way before then. They're already, their minds are already being formed. Their, their opinions, their ideas are already taking shape way before then. It's important that we teach our young people early, often, the truth. Of those who did attend an evangelical Sunday school, the respondents were more likely than to believe than those who did not regularly, believe, regularly attend these things. I'll explain that more clearly in a moment. People who attended an evangelical Sunday school were more likely to believe these statements that I'm about to read than those who never attended at all. They were more likely to believe that the Bible is a book written by men and not by God. That the Bible has errors because it was not translated correctly. That abortion is okay and should remain legal. That premarital sex is okay. That gay marriage is okay. That the church is hypocritical. That evolution is true and so the Bible cannot be true. That good people don't need to attend church. How is it that people attending our Sunday schools are more likely to believe these things than those who never have. How is that even possible? I'll tell you one thing that comes to mind is the teachers that are teaching. And I hate to keep harping on that. But this is important. If someone's going to operate on you, you want them properly trained. Right? I want to make sure they're certified. I want to make sure they know exactly what they're doing before they cut into my body. But we will throw every Tom, Dick, and Harry... At our Sunday school students, because we need someone in there. We need a body. You're available. Go teach them something. Why is that? Well, we're talking about eternity. We're talking about shaping and molding the next generation of people. And we just don't care. It just doesn't matter who, who we have teaching them. This body is going to go into the ground in 50 some odd years. I might have a solid 50 years left in this body, maybe. But eternity is forever. The person I want operating on this body that's going to last maximum 50 more years is not near as important as the person that's going to be molding and shaping my opinions and my theology 
and my worldview for all of eternity. That is so much more important. And if I want a Ph.D. trained, how much more should we expect that our teachers are trained and certified and ready to teach effectively, properly, the Word of God? The... We've got to take this book seriously. We've got to take the Word of God very seriously. We have been entrusted with it. We have been, God has made us repositories of this truth, of His very Word. We can't just throw it around willy-nilly. I, I'm going to preach this because it preaches good. I get a good response. I don't care what the response is. Is it the Word of God? Is it what He's wanting to tell the congregation? I've heard some wacky stuff come over these pulpits, and so have you. And it does preach good. And it does get a good response. Only truth should be coming across this pulpit. Only truth. Only God's Word. Hebrews 5 and 12 says, For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong drink. In the average church in America today, I can't speak to our churches, but on average, Bible literacy is absolutely disturbing. And not just in our Sunday school students either. Our parents, our deacons, our elders. If we don't know God's Word, how then are we ever going to be able to teach God's Word? How are we going to example it to others? How... When someone gets into dire straits, when someone gets into a tough situation... How are we going to come alongside of them and explain to them that God is the answer for this situation? You can trust in the Lord. Here's some scripture verses to help you out. God's never going to leave you or forsake you. God's going to stick close to you. He's going to walk through this with you. Etc., etc. How are we going to be able to explain to someone that this is a trustworthy book if we don't know it? If we don't know it, how are we going to trust it? And if someone comes up with some wacky, crazy stuff, how are you going to know it's not in the book? When someone quotes uh, <laughs> Second Opinions chapter 3, how are you going to know that's not a book of the Bible? <coughs> Even Satan knows the Word of God. He knows it backwards and forwards, inside and out. That's how he knows how to corrupt it just right. He knows just the just right amount of error to put in to get to us. No more, no less. 
We need men and women who are rooted and grounded in truth. Men and women who walk daily with their God, who are not novices. And not only that, but who are able and willing to mentor someone else. To bring them up to our level. That's not vanity speaking. That's what Jesus wants of all of us, is to ascend up to His level. That's what He's trying to do, is to make us Christ-like. If we can come alongside of someone and help that process out, that's a good thing, folks. To bring them up to the level we're at. And we ought to be looking for someone to attain unto. Someone who can come alongside of us and bring us up to their level. That's what discipleship is. That's what mentorship is. Matthew 15 and 9 says, But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Matthew 23 and 3 again says, All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. We're one generation away, either from losing everything or from absolute powerful revival. Every generation has hung in the balance. This generation hangs in the balance. And whose responsibility is it to make sure that they get trained properly? Theirs or ours? I love talking about Christian liberty. I love talking about the freedoms that Jesus purchased for us. And He has. And we have all of those. But folks, we also have some responsibilities. We also have some things that we're responsible for before God. And if we don't take care of those things, we're kind of breaking covenant. We're kind of breaking covenant with our God. We have privileges, but we also have responsibilities. We want God to take care of His. We'll hold God's feet to the fire when we don't get an answer to prayer. We have responsibilities to Him as well. Which one of those comes to pass is up to you and me. Will we assume the responsibility for mentoring the next generation? Will we take that responsibility seriously? Will we train ourselves? Will we take time out of our day to pray and to fast specifically for this? That God would use us to mentor someone else. I don't care where you're at in God either. You can be a brand new convert and you can mentor someone. You can come alongside someone that doesn't know what you know hasn't experienced what you've experienced. You can help someone come to the Lord. But we have a responsibility to always be studying, always be applying the Word of God to our lives, our situations, knowing, rightly dividing the Word of truth, being practiced with it, That is our responsibility. 
The generation that came up after Joshua need not be ours. And those statistics I've cited, they can be changed. But it won't happen by accident. And it won't happen because we want them to. I really hope they change. I really hope someone steps up and, and starts doing something. To the parent, our responsibility as a parent is to live and teach and defend God's Word in our home. A very familiar passage of Scripture to us is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4-9. through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. We have a responsibility to our children, parents. The responsibility is ours, not theirs. They have responsibilities as well. They're going to be responsible for what they're taught. Absolutely. For what you example to them. But it's your responsibility to teach. To example. And I know, more and more I know, that this generation that's coming up, I'll be very transparent, it's very alien to me. I don't understand this, this generation. I just, I don't. I used to believe that I was a kid once. I'll know pretty much what they're going through, at least in principle. I'm not so sure anymore. The responses I get sometimes are, and I I have no doubt they make perfect sense to you guys. I have no, no doubt that they do. But it's way up here for me. I don't understand the response. I don't know where you guys are coming from. And I'm trying desperately to understand. And I'm trying desperately to to comprehend the things that you guys do go through and are experiencing. I know for a fact I didn't know anybody who knew anybody that had committed suicide. I don't know if I'd even heard about suicide until I was in junior high or high school. It just wasn't a thing. Today, everybody seems to know someone that's committed suicide. I I don't understand that. I don't understand being in a place that's life seems so bleak that that's that's a valid option. And yet, People get to that place. I'm not saying it's not true. I just, I don't, I don't get that. So when we're teaching our children, it's frustrating. And, and their responses may seem alien. It may seem way out from left field. But they're not to them. They make perfect sense to them. 
I think a lot of times we talk past each other as generations. The old, the old fogies, they, they're disconnected. They have no idea what they're talking about. They, don't, they can't relate. And we look on them as like, they're just a bunch of spoiled brats. They just, they just need to knuckle down and get to work. They just need to, to discipline themselves. Because that's what we did. But that was our generation. You know, in, uh, in churches today, leadership styles are changing from over the pulpit. It used to be 50, 100 years ago, Brother Parker, people were extremely authoritarian. The pastor was very authoritarian. And he laid down the law, and that was it. People just did what the pastor said. There's no questioning. And people were fine with that. They were okay with that. That was that generation. You try that today, you may get a little bit of pushback. If that's good or that's bad, that's not what we're talking about right now. The fact of the matter is it's true. For better or for worse, that's where we're at. And so what worked in previous generations doesn't necessarily work for this one. The leadership style was very authoritarian. That doesn't necessarily work for people today. If they're spiritual, they'll submit to that. But there's always going to be that struggle in there. People don't respond to that as well as they used to. So, in our generation, our parents dealt with us a specific way, and they probably looked at me like I was talking over their head, too. Didn't understand my responses. I don't remember that. I'm not going to remember that. They do. They remember that. Yeah. My, my kids, when they grow up and have kids, they're not going to remember them doing that to me. That just seems to be how it works. But when we're teaching our kids, folks, be patient with them. They're kids. I know they want to be adults, but they're kids. I know they think they've got it all figured out. So did you. So did I. I had it all figured out until I didn't. <clears throat> Let's be patient with them. As we teach our kids, as we mentor them, as we disciple them, understand they have questions. It's okay to have questions. You have questions. I have questions. It's okay to have questions. Answer the questions. Don't answer them bitterly. Don't answer them like, you're bucking me. You're coming against my authority. That's possible too, I guess. But what's the, end re- what's the end result that we're looking for? What's the end game here? To see our kids discipled, right? I'm willing to be wrong multiple times. I'm willing to swallow that stuff down if it means that my kids are going to serve Jesus Christ. If that's what that means, I'll put up with quite a bit if it means my kids are going to serve Jesus Be patient with your kids. I know they're frustrating, but so were you. So was I. 
talk to your parents, if you could talk to my parents, uh, we'd all get down and have all kinds of good stories to tell. Be patient with your kids. They're trying. They want to do right. They want to be more than they are. They just don't have everything figured out. It's a weird period of their lives. Everything seems to be happening all at once. And our society today is not helping. It's not helping at all. It's confusing. It's fearful. There are all kinds of questions and no answers. Build a relationship with your children. They're not going to listen to you if they don't trust you. They've got to trust you. They've got to know that at the end of the day, you've got their back. That if something hits the fan and my life just completely falls apart, mom and dad are there for me. They're not going to judge. They're not going to condemn. But they're going to be there to help. Now there may be a time later for correction. I'm not saying that. Wrong is still wrong. But what's the, what's the, what's the results we're looking for? rub stuff in their face? That's not what you want when you fall. I want mercy. I want forgiveness. I want another chance. So do our kids. Give them another chance. Let your mercies be renewed every morning just like Jesus's is. Our responsibility is to mentor them, to train them in the Word of God to example before them daily what it means to be a Christian. Submit yourselves to God as parents and allow God to use you as ministers and as priests in your home. This is an awesome responsibility. It's a very high responsibility. That's why you have the authority that you do is because of the heavy responsibility that you carry. Make the Word of God always present in your home. Take every opportunity you can to demonstrate to your son or to your daughter. The answer is Jesus. To the teacher, to the mentor to those who would disciple. Our responsibility is to live, teach, and defend God's Word in our classroom, wherever that's at, whether it's downstairs, across a table, driving somewhere, wherever that is. We need to submit ourselves to God and allow Him to use us as ministers and as priests in our classrooms. God will use us to disciple others. God will use us to train and teach others to serve Him. This isn't a one-time thing. This isn't you take an hour class and you're good to go. That's not how Christianity works. That's not how our relationship with Jesus works. This is a lifetime thing. Every day we're going to be getting a little closer to Jesus, becoming a little bit more like Him. We're never going to get there, not completely, not in this life. 
but we can get closer. We can get a little closer, a little closer. We can allow God to refine us a little bit more, perfect us a little bit more. But this is a lifetime process, folks. One-hour discipleship class is good, but it's not the be-all, end-all. We need to make our own spiritual life a priority. Read and apply God's Word for ourselves. Study and prepare to teach God's Word. When our students, when the people we're discipling have questions, and they're going to have questions, we need to get them an answer. You may not have the answer right now, that's fine. But get them one. If you can't, find someone that can. Get their answers met. Take responsibility for your own teaching. If the student is not learning, then teaching is not taking place. That's hard for us to hear sometimes. There was a, I uh, can't remember who it was, but a, uh, there was some leadership thing going on, and uh, one of the, one of the audience was uh, an ex-quarterback from a professional football team. And teacher was going on teaching, teaching, and he was talking about all the you know responsibility of of the the people in the classroom to take this and do something with it. And he's like, he t- pointed to the the football player and said, "What would happen if?" Uh, if no one, if everyone in your team uh, failed to do what the, the coach wanted them to do. He said, well, actually we'd fire the coach. Point being, that if no one was doing it, no one was understanding it, no teaching was taking place. It's not bad team, it's bad teacher. Get a new teacher. That was the point the guy was trying to make. And for us today, if no learning is taking place, maybe it's not the student. The first place I always want to look is me. Is there something that I could be doing better? Something that I could be doing differently? Again, do you want to be right? Or do you want to help move the kingdom of God forward? If you've got to be right all the time, uh, this is probably going to be very difficult for you. <clears throat> Thankfully, we don't always have to be right. God can be right. Let's let God be right. Let's move the kingdom of God forward according to His plan, His will. If necessary or if applicable, get regular and consistent training. Nothing wrong with honing your skills as a teacher, as a mentor, as somebody who disciples. You'll want to know the curriculum you're teaching. Don't just get up there and wing it. I've tried that. And it... uh, it's just a bad time all the way around. It's not good. Not good at all. 
And finally, look to Jesus as our perfect example. In all things, Jesus is our perfect example. Amen. We need to learn how to teach. We need to understand that the office, the role of a teacher, is absolutely vital. It's important. And all of us are called to do exactly that, somewhere, somehow. We are responsible for what we've been given. If that's a little bit, if that's one talent, or if that's ten talents, we're responsible to do something with them. Invest that into somebody else. Invest that into the life of some other person. That's the best thing that we can do. That is the best thing that we can do, is invest in someone else. Minister to someone else. Not just when they're down and out, but at all periods of their life. It's okay to come alongside someone when things are going great for them. That might be a great time to instruct and to teach on something else. But be available to them. Be available to them. Spend time with them. That is the hardest thing for Americans to do. We'll throw money at everything that we can. And we're okay with that. But spending time, that's just something we don't have a lot of. We need to discipline ourselves in that area as well, don't we? We need to redeem the time that God has given us. We have the same amount of hours as everyone else. We need to be using them effectively, productively, for the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. I am so thankful for you, for your so great salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for the ministration of your spirit here this morning. I pray that as our service moves forward, that you would continue to bless, uplift, encourage, minister, strengthen, edify, whatever our need is today, that it would be met in you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Bless the remainder of our service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.